It's been said that health is the ultimate wealth. You cannot really enjoy your life fully if you're not completely healthy, which is why we're talking about daily habits for optimal health on this episode of the Authentic Success Podcast. Do you ever feel like you were made for more and you just don't know what this looks like yet? My name is Jordan Ulrich, and I've made it my mission to help people just like you align with your inner genius, lead a fulfilling life on your terms, and facilitate true transformation from the inside out. Authentic Success is here to challenge you, inspire you, and bring you actionable strategies for stepping into the highest version of yourself from some of the world's greatest minds. You were put here with a unique purpose. It's time that we discover it and bring it to life. This is the Authentic Success Podcast. Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Authentic Success Podcast. Let me start by saying that I am incredibly grateful that you are here. If this is your first time here, then I want to say welcome. And if you've listened to this show for a while, then you may have noticed that I went off the grid for a couple weeks. And I'm not going to get too far into it. We'll save that for another day. But all I can say is that sometimes life kind of knocks you down a little bit. And it's not knocking you down to punish you. It's just showing you the areas that you need to grow. And I have had a challenging few months, to say the least. But things are really turning around. And things are getting better and better each and every day. And this is a very, very meaningful episode to me. Because I was sitting here on my couch last night, um, looking out the window, as I'm doing right now enjoying the beautiful view of the lake and drinking a coffee. And I was thinking like, wow, health is something that I've become so accustomed to that I just kind of take it for granted. And then I watched this documentary about health and I was like, I was just shocked at some of the stats of like how many unhealthy people we have in our society. And thinking about some of the things that I've learned about health that... I just assumed everybody knows, but clearly um, the numbers never lie and the numbers show very differently. So if you are not where you want to be in your health in that area of your life, um, then this episode is for you. And if you are, then maybe you'll just get a couple takeaways from this. But health is something that I'm very, very passionate about and I hope that I can help you along uh, this journey. So before we get into habits for optimal health, I'm just going to define, I mean, for me, what optimal health is. Optimal health for me is not necessarily a state of perfection because do I still have days where I don't feel 100%? You know, you just wake up and you're tired or or you wake up and you're stressed. Like, yeah, of course, right? I mean, uh, but optimal health for me, I mean, I haven't taken an Advil or Tylenol in over three years. I don't take any antacids, PPIs, um, you know, anything. I mean, really, I take natural supplements, but that's it. And I'm just healthy. I mean, I'm just healthy. That's like the best way that I could put it is that um, is that I wake up every day and I'm like, hey, you know what? Another day of being really, really healthy. But It doesn't happen by accident and it hasn't always been this way. And my journey with health uh, really started with something that I had called SIBO. And I'm not going to stretch this out too long, but SIBO stands for small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. Um, If you've ever suffered from 
what they would call IBS, which is kind of a blanket term. Uh, just know that 87% of IBS cases are actually SIBO, and it's just an overgrowth of bacteria in the wrong place, but it can wreak freaking havoc on your life, as it did for me for about two years. Uh, spent about $10,000 in that two-year period trying to figure it out, and here we are. I'm free, healthy, don't deal with any digestive issues whatsoever, but it really led me along the road of reaching optimal health because I knew what it was like to have the opposite. Like I said, challenges, including health challenges, they're just getting you back on track, right? And see them as a blessing. So the first thing that I wanted to touch on is the problem with Western society's approach to health. Now, this is not me being like conspiracy theorists. This is not me being like, a, you know, vegan activist or, or something like that. But um, when you look at the way that Western society deals with health complications, it's kind of frightening. Um, it's, it's actually really frightening because we never look at the root cause. We're always looking at the symptom. For example, if somebody has diabetes, Western society's approach is not necessarily how do we eliminate diabetes, it is how do we get this person to live the rest of their life with diabetes. But uh, same thing with heart disease, same thing with so many of these things, like everything is reversible, but in Western society, like we don't look at the root cause. We don't look at what is causing the problem. We look at how can we treat the symptom. And that is a dangerous game of Russian roulette to play with your own health and well-being. And I'm not saying that like doctors are bad people or anything like this. Like, I just want that to be very clear. I'm just saying that the way that we look at health in our Western culture is, in my opinion, very, very backwards, very broken. To give you an example, uh, many villages in India in, in Eastern culture, uh, they'll have a village doctor and they each pay the village doctor a set amount of money each month. And when somebody gets sick, they stop paying the doctor and until that person's better and the doctor has to pay for whatever medication or, or herbs or supplements or whatever this person needs. So imagine our Western culture uh, operated like that. I mean, it's just crazy. So we just kind of have to look at health as a big, you know, it, it is a big deal, but just understanding that the way that we look at health in North America is really, really bizarre to me. So the first thing that I'm going to share are some morning and evening routines because this episode is not called uh, things you do once in a while to feel good occasionally. It's called daily habits for optimal health. And because we are creatures of habit, when we start to do something over and over for as little as 21 days, it starts to become a daily habit in which we reach this level of unconscious competence where we're doing it without thinking. And then when it becomes really, really powerful is when they become part of your identity because your identity is the one thing that we act in perfect alignment with all the time. So as far as morning routines, um, Typically, I will wake up, I usually wake up between 6 and 7 each day, we'll say between 5.30 and 7. I don't do the alarm clock thing anymore uh, because if you're setting an alarm clock and you're in a deep state of REM sleep, you're in that deep delta brainwave state, um, 
you can actually really throw your whole day off by pulling yourself out of a REM sleep. So typically what I'll do is I'll just count on my body to wake me up at the end of a sleep cycle, right? And you're gonna feel refreshed and energized. So let's say a sleep cycle ends for me, you know, depending what time I go to bed, usually it's between kind of 9.30 and 11. Uh, Let's say that my sleep cycle ends at 5.45 a.m., then I just get up and the first thing I do, I go to the bathroom and I brush my teeth. And the moment that I start brushing my teeth, I'm like, okay, now I'm not going back to bed. Uh, let's say my sleep cycle, I go to bed a bit later, my sleep cycle ends about you know, 6.45, then I just get up at 6.45. I don't really rely on you know, some, I used to wake up at like crazy hours in the morning to alarm and, and I'd get up at like 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. And what I found is that um, maybe I'd have some energy to start, but then I'd feel you know, tired by kind of 10 or 11. And a lot of times that's because I was pulling myself out of those deep states of sleep and sleep is something that I value so much and typically I'll try to aim for between seven to nine hours of uninterrupted sleep per night sometimes that's harder with kids Um, but as soon as I wake up I brush my teeth and that basically starts the day Uh, because we lose a lot of water when we're sleeping I'll typically try to drink around 750 mils to one liter of water first thing in the morning Uh, We also, to replenish electrolytes, uh, also because I eat a plant diet, which we'll talk about in a bit, um, I'll usually put some Himalayan salt in my water that kind of replenishes some of those electrolytes. Then what I'll do is I will drink uh, what I call, I'll drink two ounces of what I call my morning elixir, and it's excruciatingly painful sometimes, but it's basically just a mix of, uh, I have a juicer now, so really into juicing. <laughs> and so it's basically just uh, lemons juiced and uh, so like a bag of lemons and like half a pound to a pound of ginger, uh, some cayenne pepper, some turmeric, a little bit of black pepper and a little bit of honey. So basically make that one batch usually lasts me about five days. Uh, yeah, it's really spicy. It's, uh, it's, it's not necessarily like the most enjoyable thing, but what it does is it starts to kickstart your immune system, stimulates bile production. Uh, it's very, very good. Uh, lemon is very good at, at cleansing toxins, especially from your liver. So I'll do that first thing after I have the water. And then uh, what I'll do is I will drink 16 ounces of pure celery juice on an empty stomach. And if you've never tried celery juice, it's uh, it's it's really, really amazing. I mean, I noticed that that I just get a surge of energy after I drink this 16 ounces of celery juice. Now, if you're new to celery juice, uh, I would suggest reading up on it. Uh, you might not wanna start with 16 ounces. I would say start with like two to four ounces. Of course, I'm not a doctor, so go at your own pace. Uh, start with like two to four ounces, work up to eight ounces, 10 ounces, 12, 14, 16. Uh, but 16, you know, 16 ounces of celery juice on an empty stomach. Don't drink it too quickly. And don't be surprised if when you start this, you're going to start to have maybe some adverse uh, reaction to it, maybe some bloating, uh, maybe some uh, movements, some time in the bathroom. You know, that's normal. Uh, celery is, is going in and actually clearing out a lot of those things. It kind of happened to me when I started, but usually after two, three days, um, 
it's kind of gone. But celery juice, really, really amazing. Uh, I personally like the taste of it. Some people don't, but just a, a few things on celery juice, like protects and heals your liver, uh, reduces inflammation, fights bacterial, viral, and fungal infections, supports weight loss, uh, destroys cancer cells, heals uh, digestive issues, reduces bloating, fights eczema and acne, so it really promotes skin health. Uh, prevents urinary tract infections, prevents high blood pressure, uh, lowers your cholesterol immensely, uh, prevents and heals uh, peptic ulcers, fights depression and anxiety, uh, relieves insomnia so you have better sleep, reduces adrenal fatigue, uh, reduces migraines, decreases joint and muscle pain, decreases allergy issues, helps to heal uh, blurry vision, calms disruptive hormones or hormone imbalances, reduces brain fog, uh, heals thyroid issues, and relieves symptoms of RA, or rheumatoid arthritis. So those are just a couple things that celery juice does. So again, 16 ounces of celery juice right after that lemon and ginger cayenne uh, elixir mixture. And then I won't drink anything for about 30 minutes. So I'll sip it, it takes me about 15 minutes to drink that 16 ounces, sip it quite slowly, and it's important to not bombard your system with anything after you have to let that celery juice go in and do its thing. Uh, typically for me, like one bunch of celery, maybe eight or 10 stalks, that usually gives me like one glass of celery juice. People are like, oh, I can't afford that. It's like, well, what does health cost, right? People are like, I could spend $7 a day at Starbucks, but I can't spend $3 a day on celery. Very, very important part of the day. Uh, after that, I will typically try to get in, usually my morning meditation, especially if I have my kids, going to be a little bit shorter than my evening one. If I'm by myself, then my morning meditation is a little bit longer. Uh, typically, I aim for at least one hour a day of meditation. And if that sounds crazy, they say like if you're, it's, it's ideal to do at least 20 minutes a day of meditation, but if you're really busy, then you should do an hour a day. And, and basically, uh, that's just a non-negotiable for me. I mean, meditation to me, it's not a chore. It's like something that you look forward to, right? So those are some really important things that I'll first thing in the morning. Uh, sometimes I'll do some tapping. Sometimes I'll do some, some self-hypnosis. Uh, I'll do some meditation, but usually I'll do at least 15 to 20 minutes. And what that's doing is it's setting my day to not be in a reactive state. It, it gets me in a proactive state, not a reactive state, balances my nervous system, gets me back into uh, just kind of a state of calm. And in our modern day society, we're so good at rushing from one thing to the next, but I really think that grounding yourself and moving slowly with intention is way more productive than just trying to put out fires uh, starting from the moment you wake up. After that, I will have either... Uh, I love coffee and a lot of people are like, I need to cut coffee and maybe that would be a good thing for you. I don't abuse coffee. I never drink more than 12 ounces a day, usually about eight ounces, but I mean, I like coffee and it's, it's, I don't see any negatives with coffee in my life. Uh, it used to make me really jittery, really anxious, but, uh, doesn't really do that. I just, I really like the taste. I don't drink it because I feel like I need the caffeine. Sometimes I'll drink like a, a Four Sigmatic mushroom coffee or which is full of, you know, made with adaptogens like ashwagandha, reishi mushrooms, or I'll drink a cacao mix or matcha uh, or green tea. But I don't know. I mean, I just, I just like coffee. I like 
hot drinks. So I really don't see a negative there. And that just kind of gets me in a balanced state. That's kind of my morning routine. And I really, really enjoy it. I've got it very dialed. And again, we're creatures of habit. So whatever you do over and over, uh, you're going to start to hardwire that in as a subconscious program. And eventually, if your habits are good, right, this doesn't mean like waking up and checking Twitter or Instagram. Uh, Those are habits too that you can hardwire in. But if you can hardwire in these healthy habits, then it's just one more thing that you can eliminate having to think about. You just wake up, it's like, oh, time for my lemon ginger. Okay, time for water, time for celery juice, time for meditation. Um, Great. And usually I'll mix in like some journaling or some reading in there too. But starting your day in a calm manner is so, so important. And we're going to talk about stress and the parasympathetic nervous system and so on and so on as we move through this episode. I really want to dive deep on this though because I think that it's really, really important. Again, health is the ultimate wealth. If you don't have health, then you just can't experience life fully. So evening routines, uh, typically I will have like a ginger tea at the end of the day. Uh, Once my kids are in bed, I'll have a ginger tea. I'll do typically a longer meditation, like 30 to 60 minutes. Uh, Maybe that includes some tapping, maybe some self-hypnosis. Maybe it doesn't, but that just kind of primes me to have a really, really good sleep. And you notice that your life gets totally out of whack when you're not having good sleep. I know what that's like as a dad of a two-year-old and a four-year-old. But evening routines, typically no screen, um, meditation, tapping, tea, uh, journaling. You know, that's kind of a sacred time for me. Sometimes I'll do some work in the evening, uh, but you got to kind of understand what times of the day you're really, really productive. And just before I close out this segment on some of those morning and evening routines, two things that I will always mix in are A, breath work. So I use the, the Wim Hop Uh, the Wim Hof app. Uh, If you're new to breathwork, I would really suggest looking into some of the studies on it. It's absolutely amazing uh, for for tapping into the autonomic nervous system and and activating that parasympathetic nervous system, which is what we'll talk about next. Uh, And then cold showers, again, voluntary activation of the sympathetic nervous system. Uh, typically three to five minutes in ice cold water, really, really beneficial. Some people do cold plunges, but that, I mean, those two habits are really amazing. Typically, I won't do those first thing or last. I'll kind of mix those in throughout my day. Uh, Again, kind of depends if I have my kids or not. So the next thing I want to talk about is stress. And you, I mean, stress is, I think that it's almost impossible to live a stress-free life because the way that our brains are designed, we have this two million year old uh, system in our brain that has never really developed. And it's always on, your brain is wired to always be on the lookout for potential danger. So when it sees potential danger, the same way that it would see potential danger in leaving the cave, if you wanna go deeper on this, listen to episode 71 with Dr. Maria Nemeth on the energy of money. She talks a lot about this undeveloped part of the brain. Not undeveloped, just just hasn't really made any progress since our caveman days and how it perceives danger the same way that it perceived danger, you know, 100,000 years ago. But your brain is always on the lookout for potential threats and potential danger. But in 2022, it sees potential threats as like taxes or credit card bills or work deadlines or, you know, 
all of these things. So it's it's important to know that your brain is is designed to send off this kind of fight or flight signal when it thinks about a potentially uh, dangerous thing and that gets your body in that fight or flight mode which is activating your stress system in your body, your sympathetic nervous system. But stress causes inflammation. Chronic stress causes a boatload of problems. And I really do think that um, stress is really at the root cause of pretty much every illness that we experience, that people experience in, you know, in this day and age, in our modern society, especially in Western culture. Stress becomes almost addicting for people, and I've definitely been there. Uh, led to a load of issues in my life, especially uh, digestive issues. But stress so important to understand that you likely won't live a stress-free life unless you hide under a rock, and in that case, your life probably isn't going to be very exciting. And a little bit of stress is okay. Like there's nothing wrong with a little bit of stress. It's when stress gets chronic that it starts to really take a toll on our mental health, our physical health. And as somebody who has, you know, very transparently, like I've experienced bouts of uh, depressive states, chronic anxiety, things like this, and all of those stem from stress. Things feeling out of control, feeling like there's just too much to handle, and then you're running from one thing to the next, and your body gets way, way out of balance. But if we could look at stress as we have two sides of the nervous system, we have the sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight or flight. Um, Basically, blood floods out of the creative centers in your brain, and it flows into your extremities, so your hands and feet, and it gets you ready for a potential battle up ahead. But the odds are that you're not going to need to fight your credit card bill and you're not going to need to run from your credit card bill but that's what the brain tries to get your body prepared to do and it's just because it doesn't know how to differentiate you know it doesn't know that these things aren't actually life-threatening it just sees them as life-threatening so when we're running these thought loops of we're the only we're the only being on earth that can that can activate this sympathetic nervous system and create stress in the body just by thought alone. So the sympathetic nervous system gets activated when we're in a stressful situation. And again, we're not gonna live a stress-free life, but what we can do is learn how to regulate stress quickly, get the body back into a calm state, get the mind into a calm state, because you can't even think clearly when you're in that stressed out state. You start going from logical thinking to, and rational thinking to emotional thinking and we try to force outcomes, it just, it's it's bad news all around. It's really, really bad news. So stress is something that we do ultimately have control over. And again, I talked about breath work, I talked about uh, cold showers, those really help with stress a lot. Uh, Some other things that I'll do to to really regulate stress really quickly, uh, there's a couple that I rely on. So breathing, if you're in a stressed out state, let's say you're in public, you're likely not going to do a 40-minute meditation when you're standing in line at the bank, but what you can do is a simple set of breathing exercises. You can do this anytime, anywhere, even if you are, even if you're driving. Really, doesn't matter what you're doing. Uh, this is a very, very simple breathing technique that you can do anytime. So basically, what it consists of is is a deep breath in to your diaphragm. Uh, when we're stressed, we typically will will breathe very shallow and very quickly and there's a great saying that the mind is like a kite and the breath is the anchor 
okay? So you can always go to your breath to move your body back into a calm state and get it out of that stressed, anxious, frantic, panic state. So basically what this means is a four second breath in through your nose, uh, deep into your diaphragm. So in to the count of four and you're gonna hold it for seven seconds, okay? And then you're gonna breathe out through your mouth and you're gonna kind of purse your lips almost like you're breathing out through a straw for eight seconds. So four seconds in through your nose, deep in your diaphragm, hold it for seven and exhale for eight. And you're going to keep doing this until you feel your body relax. Because what this breathing does is it activates your parasympathetic nervous system. Your parasympathetic nervous system is responsible for rest, digestion, relaxation, creativity. It moves your body back into what's called homeostasis, which is like your natural state of being. And if you're like, it's not working, it's not working, just keep going. I guarantee you that even if it takes 10 reps, 15 reps, 20 reps, I guarantee you, you will move your body out of this stressed out state just by repeating this breathing exercise. And again, you can do it absolutely anywhere, anytime, driving down the road, picking your kids up from school, in the grocery store, whatever it is, this is a lifesaver for me because I don't always have time to do some of the other things that I'll talk about to regulate stress. So that's a really good one. Another thing that I'll use is called the 54321 method, which is used a lot in uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. And basically what it means is looking around to anchor yourself in the present moment. You're gonna find five things you can see, four things you can touch, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, and one thing you can taste. What that does is it focuses your brain on the present moment. Where focus goes, energy flows. So often when we're stressed, okay, we're in a state of fear and we're trying to predict a future outcome that has not yet happened. Could be a deadline that's two weeks away, but you're not living two weeks away, you're living right now, right? So the best thing you could do to deal with that deadline that's two weeks away is get back into the present moment. And what happens when you do this breathing exercise or you do the 54321 method is you're moving your body back into the present moment. Blood moves back into the prefrontal cortex. Okay, it moves away from the midbrain back into your prefrontal cortex, which uh, you are using for logical creative thinking. And a creative state is a problem solving state. So understand that being stressed, as much as your brain is always trying to serve you by keeping you on high alert all the time, uh, understand that that doesn't really help anything. In fact, it hurts because you're in that short-term survival emotional uh, state, that panic state. So the sympathetic nervous system is your stressed out state. Your parasympathetic nervous system is your rest, relaxation, creativity, logical thinking. That is the place where you're gonna solve problems from, but that's also the state that heals your body. When we spend too much time in the sympathetic nervous system and we're always stressed out, this is what I was doing when I started my first business, I was working like every waking moment of the day and eventually that started to manifest physically, okay? So just understand that activating your parasympathetic nervous system is the biggest favor you can do to your body because you're moving it back into its natural state, its healing state, that state of homeostasis. Now, if I've got a little bit more time, 
and I'm really stressed and really anxious. There's, and this happens to me all the time because I have obstacles in my life and I have a lot of things that I've not, you know, yet overcome or yet figured out. So uh, just understand that I'm not coming to you as a perfect human. I still get really stressed. I still get really anxious. I have down days sometimes. Um, if I have a little bit more time though, try to get into meditation for at least 15 to 20 minutes. And what that's doing is it's actually shutting down that fight or flight state, it's shutting down that fight or flight um, signal that's coming from your brain. There's a part of your brain called the amygdala. It's a little almond shaped part of your brain. Uh, amygdala is Greek for almond, fun fact. And that is that ancient part of your brain that's responsible for looking out for danger and always being on the lookout for potential harm. Again, your brain's wired for survival, not wired for happiness and creativity and success and freedom and wealth and all these things. It's just trying to look out for potential danger to keep you alive. But in meditation, that part of your brain starts to shut down. And, and I heard uh, Marissa Peer, famous hypnotherapist, said, you see so much better with your eyes closed. When you stop focusing on the external world in a reactive state and you start going into the internal world, deep into the subconscious mind in a proactive state, you're going to be able to solve problems way easier. You're activating that healing mechanism in your body. And what really happens here is you're moving your brain waves, not to nerd out too much, but you're shifting your brain waves from uh, our waking state is beta, okay, beta brainwave state. You're moving it into alpha, which is a really, really, Tony Robbins says there's no problem that can't be solved in alpha brainwave state. So that's that's kind of that trance-like state you start to enter when you get into meditation. Then we get deeper into theta, um, which is kind of like four to eight hertz. That's, that's a deep hypnotic trance. And the better you get with meditation or self-hypnosis, um, the faster you can get into those, into those deep hypnotic trance-like states. So you're really, really turning off the stress response when you get deep into meditation, you get deep into those hypnotic trances. You can start to focus on desired outcomes because that creative center in your brain is switched on. Now, another thing that I'll do, the next thing that I'll do, sometimes I'll combine this with meditation, is EFT or emotional freedom techniques. So you have to understand that all of your life experiences have basically given you uh, a set of emotions that you live by on a day-to-day -day basis. We carry trauma around in our body, not just in the mind. It embeds itself into the nervous system. So emotional freedom techniques, what you're doing, and, and I have many episodes on this, but what you're doing is you're basically focusing on the very thing that stresses you the most, and you're temporarily, voluntarily activating that stress response. But EFT, also called tapping, shows the picture of the stressful thing to your mind. And as you're tapping, okay, and you're, and you're hitting different uh, meridian points, if you want to go really deep on this, go back to my episode with uh, Dr. Peter Stapleton, one of the most renowned researchers on emotional freedom techniques. And what you're doing is you're sending a signal to the amygdala in your brain, that fight or flight center in your brain, and you're saying, we are safe. So you're showing it the thing that scares you the most or the thing that's stressing you out. And as you're tapping 
on these various points, you are sending that calming signal to the mind. And the more you tap, the calmer you get. The calmer you get, the more you realize that so many of the problems that you're focused on, they stress you out so much because you have made a mountain out of a molehill. You have made it such a big deal that it puts your body in that freeze mode, that fight, flight, or freeze mode. And the more you start to tap, the calmer you get and the more easily it becomes, uh, the, the easier it becomes to start to focus on solutions. And if you can hear a lot of things outside, that's because I have my window open and it's just too beautiful outside to close it, so you're gonna have to live with it. Uh, now, the last thing that I'll do to downregulate stress is uh, other than taking a nap. Sometimes taking a nap or or putting in my headphones, I'll, I'll do a you know, really, really good hypnosis for you know, 20, 30, 60 minutes. Sometimes just taking a nap is what you need to get yourself uh, back into that regulated state, especially if you didn't have a great sleep. So never feel guilty for taking a nap. It's one of the best things that you can do. But uh, the last thing that I wanna touch on in terms of stress is exercise. And if you think you don't have time or money to exercise, then I would rethink that. And I would deeply rethink that. Exercise can be so simple, can be as simple as going for a walk, can be as simple as going for a run. Uh, At my house, I basically have some push-up handles, I have a a chin-up bar, and I have an ab wheel, and I have a rebounder. Those four things, you could buy all four of those things for less than $100, and like total, sneak in a 30-minute workout. What you're doing is you're releasing cortisol from your bloodstream. You are releasing endorphins, dopamine, serotonin, uh, all those feel-good chemicals. And what it does is, you know, motion creates emotion. And the best way to get out of your head is to just start moving your body, right? You're not gonna think your way out of that stressed out state, uh, but you can use your physiology to change your state. You can move your way into a new way of thinking rather than trying to think your way into a new way of moving. So if I'm feeling really anxious, really stressed, or I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, at a dead end sitting at my computer or something, um, which happens like all the time, especially because I'm kind of ADHD, uh, I will just go sneak in like a 20 minute exercise. It's amazing what that does for your overall state. But just understand that stress is so detrimental to your well-being. Uh, we widely accept it in Western culture, and I think that it's, I, I just think it's become way too common. And some people even wear this badge of honor of like, I'm so stressed. Look how stressed I am. Look how busy I am. It's, it becomes an addiction and an identity after a while. Uh, I've been there. I've lived it. And it's so unenjoyable. So yes, stress, I mean, stress is inflammation and all disease stems from inflammation. So do yourself a favor, move out of your stress out state, release the addiction that you have to being overly busy or overworking or overstressing. Next, okay, so we've covered morning routines, evening routines, what does optimal health mean to you, understanding the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system, how to regulate stress, I really want to touch very quickly on your digestive health. And you might be thinking, what would digestive health have to do with all of this? Um, Pretty much everything. So 
I won't go into deep detail because that would be way too much, uh, way too much for you to hear right now. But uh, I hit a point in my life when I couldn't digest food anymore. And uh, I'll just let you figure this out on your own, but food would basically move right through me as soon as I ate it. And it didn't really matter what I ate. And it was just, it was a horrific time in my life. I couldn't go out for dinner because I was like, what if I can't digest this? And I would be bloated, I would be nauseous. It would be just like, it was like hell because you don't know what you can and can't eat anymore. And that was when I discovered uh, SIBO, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, and it was leading to a myriad of things like fatigue, uh, brain fog, anxiety. I mean, just a horrible, it's a horrible condition, but it's ultimately reversible. And it's not as widely recognized in like practical or, or whatever you'd call, um, you know, traditional Western medicine. Uh, they'll kind of just dismiss it as IBS and then they'll give you like some steroids like prednisone or something like this. So IBS, Crohn's, um, inflammatory bowel disease, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, uh, all of these are just digestive conditions that are completely reversible. They are not a life sentence as much as people like to think they are. Uh, they're very, very reversible with a few things. But understand that your gut bacteria, your digestive health, um, really is at the bottom of your overall health, including your mental health. And you might think like, what does digestive health have to do with mental health? Well, here's a crazy thing is that 95% of serotonin, which is a critical chemical for your well-being and happiness, 95% of it is actually generated in the digestive tract. 5% um, is generated in the brain. And there is something called the vagus nerve, which vagus stands from the word uh, vagabond. And basically, it's the longest nerve in your body, uh, basically stems from the, from the bottom of your spine running all the way up to your brain. And there's something called the gut-brain axis. So basically, your gut, which is also called the second brain, is, if you've ever heard the term, trust your gut, there's a reason why that is such a common saying. So your gut is always communicating with your brain and your brain's always communicating with your gut through this vagus nerve. Now, when you start to have a prolonged stress, your digestion gets way out of balance. And for me, uh, it, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, it took me a, a lot of money. I've mentioned before, over 10 grand and over two years to get to the bottom of this and understand the importance of digestive health. Uh, but basically, what was happening for me was I had this overgrowth of bacteria in my small intestine, which I went to a doctor, like a walk-in clinic. Horrible mistake, but I didn't know any better. He basically said, oh, you probably have an ulcer. Uh, here's some amoxicillin and some proton pump inhibitors, which basically block the production of hydrochloric acid in your stomach, which is needed for digestion. And he, he kind of said like, hey, you know, I can get you on this wait list for this breath test, or I can just give you these antibiotics, it'll be all over and done with. That made the condition so much worse because it only takes one round of antibiotics to radically increase your chances of developing small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. Also things like, um, what's that, what's that traveler's uh, medication called? 
Gaviscon? No. I'm trying to th Emodium. Okay, Emodium. Uh, Emodium, Pepto-Bismol, all of these things are so incredibly bad for you. They slow motility down, and basically what that does is slows motility, which means that um, your, your digestive tract is not working as it should, and then you start to give those bacteria opportunity to populate in the small intestine. And when bacteria starts to populate in the small intestine, it basically ripples out and, and causes havoc in, in the rest of your body. It causes havoc in the rest of your whole entire uh, state of health or lack thereof. So what was happening for me was I would eat food and all of these bacteria in the small intestine, they start to devour this food, especially they crave things like sugar and carbs. So pay attention to what foods you crave on a day-to-day -day basis because it's not you craving the food, it's that bacteria in your digestive tract. And to give you an idea, we should have about three to five pounds of bacteria in your large intestine, which is where it's supposed to be. Kind of gross to picture that, I know. Uh, you should have only about 90 grams of bacteria in your small intestine. And when that bacteria starts to overpopulate, uh, it leads to things like bloating, nausea, um, you know, going to the bathroom either way too often or not enough. And all of those are symptoms of small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. So if you have any back, uh, any digestive issues whatsoever, please get a breath test from a uh, functional medicine practitioner or a naturopathic doctor that is going to, or you can, I believe you can just order them online. Uh, if you're in Canada, I think there's something called SIBO Clinic Canada. Uh, basically, you can order this breath test. All you do is breathe into this tube for about three hours every 20 minutes. What it's going to do is show you if you have any elevated levels of hydrogen or methane bacteria in the small intestine. And if you get a positive test, celebrate because you just got to the root cause of all of your digestive issues. So coming from someone who has what I would consider perfect digestive health, um, I will tell you that life is so much better when your digestion works perfectly and properly. Now again, understanding too that stress plays a huge role in this because there's a part of your digestive tract called the migrating motor complex. Basically what it's doing, it's always expanding and contracting and it's basically pushing food through and when you're stressed, digestion is the first thing to shut down. So when you're stressed all the time, uh, digestion's essentially never ever working for you. So again, we have to look at this from a holistic perspective. We have to treat the whole human. Um, the last thing I was gonna touch on before we talk about diet and fasting, which is kind of where I'm gonna close this out, is, um, is, is just kind of understanding uh, your gut bacteria. And there's many, many supplements and products out there, but I would look at these from a place of caution because if you're just piling things like probiotics into your, um, in, into your digestive tract without knowing what's actually going on in there, you might be doing more harm than good. So two things that I did, obviously the SIBO test, um, there's many different ways of treating SIBO. I'm not gonna go way into that now, but I will say what I've learned, um, through you know uh, just a lot of uh, eradication which is where you take medication or uh, herbal supplements to eradicate that bacteria in the small intestine i'm not going to go too far into that but what i have learned is uh, is that the the best products that i've ever found are 
there's two things. One is called a mega spore biotic. Uh, you can only get it through practitioner recommendation. Uh, it's a spore-based probiotic. It has five bacillus strains, uh, which basically, I know that might just sound like French right now, uh, but basically this is designed to go in and through something called competitive outpopulation or dominance, uh, it's it's designed to push out those bad bacteria from the small intestine and start to recondition your whole entire digestive tract. Uh, it also heals another thing that most people have that they don't know they have called leaky gut, which is where you have gaps in the intestinal wall. Uh, there's another great product that I've discovered called the cultured coconut. Uh, the cultured coconut has over 40 different strains of active bacteria in it and again it's designed to go in and outpopulate those bad bacteria push them through the small intestine and start to recolonize and recondition the digestive tract so again i'm not a gut health specialist i'm just speaking from my own experience uh, there were a lot of things that i took that um, including a synthetic pharmaceutical called rifaximin I uh, wouldn't go that route again because it caused a lot of bacterial imbalance and just made me feel like absolute garbage. Now understand that when you go to repopulate and, and push out any bad bacteria you have, you're going to have something called a Herxheimer reaction, which is a, it's basically an adverse reaction, which is a good sign. Um, you'll get kind of flu-like symptoms, aches. Um, fatigue, sometimes even a fever, chills, sounds really unpleasant, but all it is is just a, a reaction to uh, killing those bad bacteria. Okay, so gut health is necessary for overall health, and I know I went on on that topic a long time, but I think it's important for you to understand. So the last thing that we're going to talk about on this Habits for Optimal Health episode is, and if you're still listening, then I commend you because it means that you are passionate or you are willing to bring your health to the next level. So the last thing we're going to talk about is diet. Diet and fasting. So these two things are really, I mean, I can't say enough about diet and what it can do for your life to either heal your body or destroy your body. So the diet that I eat nowadays is a fully plant-based diet. Um, it doesn't mean that I don't cheat once in a while and get like a, a blizzard or something, but I don't eat any meat whatsoever. Um, meat is highly inflammatory in your body. Meat actually causes an instant inflammatory response in the body and you just have to look at meat as basically decaying flesh and decaying flesh is very hard for your body to digest. Uh, again, I'm not like preaching veganism on people. I'm just sharing what has worked for me and kind of what I rely on on a day-to-day -day basis. People talk about eating healthy as like being too challenging, but you kind of have to choose your hard. You have to choose your challenges, right? Do you want to go through the temporary um, period of like resetting your diet or do you want to live the rest of your life eating like garbage and causing inflammation and disease in your body? So understanding that diet really is, is the keystone. It's the building block for your overall health on a day-to-day -day basis. So breaking food down into two categories, inflammatory and healing. 
That's it. I mean, every food that you put in your body is either going to heal it and provide nutrients and and bring your body, you know, increase your health or it's going to destroy your health. So what are some inflammatory foods? Uh, meat, dairy, and sugar are three of the worst things that you can put in your body. If we look at the three big things that, that the three big diseases that wipe out a lot of Americans and a lot of Canadians on a year-to-year, even a day-to-day basis, heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. All three of these are the most popular foodborne illnesses that exist in modern-day culture. And I know that that sounds really weird, but understand that diet can either promote health, it can promote your your healing and it can fight things like cancer, heart disease, and diabetes, or you can eat a diet that promotes cancer, diabetes, and heart disease. So eating a fully plant-based diet is very, very easy. And the cool thing that happens is that once you do this, again, because we're creatures of habit, once you do this long enough, you, and it's been about two, probably two and a half years since I've eaten meat, um, I don't eat any dairy. I mean, again, once in a while, I'll just cheat and like have a piece of Parmesan cheese or, you know, I'll get a blizzard or something like that. Uh, uh, but again, this is like once in a blue moon type thing. And sugar is something I'm very conscious of as well. Eating healthy is so easy. And after a while, it's not like you look at, you know, a piece of steak or a hamburger and go, oh, I wish I could just have this one time. You look at it and you're like, ew, like I wouldn't put that in my body, right? Like I don't look at, at fried chicken and go like, oh, if I could just eat this one time or, uh, you know, a pork chop or something, ew. Like you'd have to, you know, I would have to, you'd have to pay me a lot of money to even contemplate the idea of eating a piece of meat. I do eat fish occasionally, but, uh, you know, to, to eat, you know, red meat or something, it's like, I can't even contemplate that in my brain because those connections in my brain, uh, they don't even fire together. They don't even know. I don't even remember what it was like. Um, and then sugar and dairy. I mean, these things are so incredibly bad for you, but again, we just don't talk about enough in our Western culture, like how harmful some of these foods are. Um, how, you know, cured meat is a level one carcinogen. What else is a level one carcinogen is cigarettes. And if you are going to eat, like for men, for example, eating a piece of cured meat each day, um, I can't get you the exact number, but I think it's, you're increasing your, your risk of colon cancer by like, I want to say 38%. Uh, you're almost better off just smoking cigarettes smoke a, smoke a pack of cigarettes a day if you're gonna eat things like that I mean it's so incredibly harmful on your body but they're so popular in in our society that nobody really bats an eye at them but you'd be amazed at how many diseases are completely reversible by just switching to a plant diet so if we were to look at you know for me I'll just give you an example breakfast lunch and dinner so breakfast would be something like uh, like a, a berry smoothie with kale or spinach um, that's pretty much every single day might be like oatmeal with some 
you know, almonds, cashews, something like that. Uh, lunch, typically very light, something like, uh, you know, just raw vegetables, maybe raw fruit with some almond butter, something like that, uh, and some nuts. And then dinner, I mean, it's usually going to be a bowl that just has you know, brown rice, uh, edamame beans, maybe some edamame or tofu. Uh, be cautious of some of the uh, meat mimicking plant-based things out there because a lot of time they're just loaded with junk. They're not any better for you than meat. They're loaded with inflammatory things like sunflower oil or canola oil. Uh, so really, you know, look at whole foods, raw foods. Uh, if you can't recreate it in your kitchen, don't eat it. If it comes in a package, be very, very cautious. Um, so dinner would be something like, you know, brown rice with edamame beans, sweet potato, uh, broccoli, carrots, kale, spinach. Um, yeah, some plant proteins, you know, again, not not these like beyond meat or anything like that. In my opinion, it's really not any better for you than red meat. Um, and then you people would be like, where do you get your protein? Um, proteins in pretty much everything. If you were to consume 2,000 calories a day of just brown rice and broccoli, <laughs> and that was all you ate, uh, you'd still get, you'd get about 80 grams of protein in a day. Uh, I use nutritional yeast uh, as protein, you know, protein and B vitamin supplement quite a bit. Um, but yeah, sometimes if I want a snack, it'll be like, you know, hummus with carrots or popcorn with coconut oil and nutritional yeast, just you know, something to kind of fill those gaps if I get hungry throughout the day. And just understand that like, it's so easy to eat healthy. And if you don't have garbage food in your house, the temptation to eat garbage food goes way down. And if you only have healthy food in your house, then you're basically forcing yourself into eating, um, into eating a healthy diet. So if I go to the grocery store and the only things I'm buying are, you know, dark leafy greens, uh, peppers, plant proteins, carrots, um, you know, mangoes, apples, berries, all of these things, then if that's all that exists in my house, I'm not going to go out of my way to go pick up some, you know, garbage to, to sneak into the pantry because I could be very good at that and, you know, eating a box of Smarties or something like that. Again, don't aim for perfection. Like, I'm not telling you, you know, not to cheat once in a while. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you could keep kind of 90% whole foods, plant foods, um, you're going to radically decrease inflammation in your body. And again, disease is inflammation. So as inflammation goes down, uh, disease kind of goes away. So eat healthy, um, eat plants. They're incredibly good for you. I suggest picking up a book called Super Life by uh, Darren Olean from the documentary with Zac Efron called Down to Earth. He's a superfood researcher. I've learned a lot about food from him. Uh, eat a plant-based diet. That's all I can say. And again, I'm not like pushing this on you. I'm just saying try it for a month and see what happens. I have seen people reverse diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis. Um, there are many, many stories of people even reversing cancer by not feeding the cancer the food that it needs like sugar and dairy and meat to survive. And the last thing is fasting. Uh, I'm not going to go way into fasting. This will probably be another episode, but the healing benefits of fasting are unbelievable. So typically I'll fast every day from about 6 or 7 p.m. until about 10 to 12. 
uh, 10 a.m. to noon, somewhere around there. Uh, once a week, I'll try to do about a 24-hour water fast, and then once a month, I'll try to do a 48-plus hour fast, and really just resets your digestive tract. Uh, fun fact is that your digestive tract is the only part of your body that can completely heal itself in 72 hours of just water fasting. So again, if you have digestive issues, really, really look into fasting. And something I forgot to touch on, but supplements, um, I'll pretty much take a, a really good quality B vitamin complex. I don't eat meat, so that's important to me. Uh, ashwagandha is an adaptogen, really helps to fight oxidative stress and uh, it's very, very good for you. Again, look into it. And vitamin C, vitamin D3, and again, I'll take something for gut health like this cultured coconut or a spore-based probiotic. I have spoke for so long that I'm like almost dizzy from it. But this is a very, very meaningful episode for me because there are so many unhealthy people out there that don't know how to take control back of their health. And I really wanted to make this episode because... I want you to be healthy. I want you to know that health is ultimately uh, within your control. All disease is reversible. And like Deepak Chopra says, if if it's a trauma to the body, like you lose your leg, um, then look at modern medicine because it's very, very advanced in terms... I'm not saying that Western medicine's bad. I'm just saying that there. I think there's some gaps in the ways that we go about things. And we have to remember that you know, it's a multi-trillion dollar industry and it's a multi-trillion dollar industry, right? And there's no money in healthy people. There's no money in dead people, but there's a ton, billions and billions and billions of dollars in that little gap in between, which is unfortunately most people in North America. You travel to some other places and obesity, cancer, all these things, like they hardly exist based on just the way that people eat. So if it's anything else, look at the body to heal the body. When you get a cut on your arm, you don't go get a prescription for it. You just trust your body's natural ability to heal. Well, your body has, it is a self-healing organism, but you just have to look at it that way. Stop relying on somebody telling you what you know, medication you need to live with for the rest of your life in order to survive. It's just not true. This is the conclusion of this episode on Habits for Optimal Health. Holy smokes. Longest episode I've ever done. I'm going to go make a smoothie now because I'm starving. I just want to say thank you. If you've made it this far, you are serious about your health and I'm serious about your health. I'm very passionate about people living in a healthier, happier manner and understanding that health is something ultimately inside their circle of control. Thank you so much if you have, I don't even know, I don't even know how long we're at right now, but I just want to say thank you. And I will catch you on the next episode of the Authentic Success Podcast. Live happy, eat healthy, and I'll see you next time. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Authentic Success Podcast. If you've made it this far, it means you are not a dabbler and that you are someone who's truly committed to making a lasting change. If you like what you heard, please leave a rating, comment, or review as it helps me bring this message to more people that need it. If you want to go a step further, this is an invitation to grab a free copy of my book, Authentic Success, at jordanolrich.com forward slash success. Keep your energy up, keep moving forward even when it's scary, and I'll see you on the next episode.